Hi everyone, Alex and I are back. Uh, I must apologize for the delay with our episodes. Between COVID-19, a bunch of personal commitments, and launching Double Star Co., uh, I've really been unable to meet uh, these commitments with you guys. But we're back. We have three episodes in the barrel. We have another few bookings underway. Um, and this episode has quickly become uh, one of my favorites. So I hope you enjoy. <laughs> to Maker and Creator, the podcast about creativity and culture and how it affects us. My name is Jai Smith and I'm joined virtually right now, as always, by my co-host, Alex Adams. Hey, Alex. Hey, Jai. How are you? How's your week of ISO going? It's fine. I've got egg yolk all over my shirt. Uh, I know. I, I can see. Yeah. I can see on our, our call here, our FaceTime call. You're, it's the first thing I noticed. You always have like pristine white or black t-shirts and today you've got white with a giant yellow stain on it. <laughs> I've become a grub and I just kind of eat eggs now and boiled eggs. How would we know? No one knows if anyone's got pants on at the moment during their meetings. It's just like, oh, I'm so corporate up top with a shirt on and then I'm just in my hand. So, Alex, do you like science, Alex? Um, yeah, I guess. I was never any good at it, but I um, like watching science shows like Mythbusters and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, do you think science is necessarily uh, a creative industry? I would have said no. And so when when you told me that we were having someone from the science space onto the show, I was like, Jai, what the hell does that have to do with creativity? Isn't it exact numbers and formulas and you can't really, you know, what's the creativity in science? Basically, you said, why are you bring a big nerd on our cool show? Keep the nerds away. That, no that's way. I love nerds. I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd myself. So, no, no, I'm all about nerding out. But I just was unsure. It was like I was unsure that there was creativity in science. But, you know, mm. I, I think I'm being really naive here and I'm excited to learn more and be enlightened by the end of this episode. <laughs> Well, for me, look, it didn't come from being good at science. It came because I'm basically an even bigger nerd, Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, even uh, Stranger Things, whether it's things like Lovecraft, etc. But basically the role of science fiction has given the real world all these new kind of ideas, whether that's the mobile phone, whether that's 3D printer, whether that's something like the earbud or even something like the atomic bomb. A lot of these things came out of science fiction and whether that's, you know, what we consider science fiction today or what was considered science fiction in like 1915, science has always kind of had this big creative force that I don't think anyone really pays attention to unless someone points it out to you. I certainly didn't. And that's what brings me to today's guest who is now, uh, I've known since I was about 12 years old, back before he was a doctor, Nathaniel Butterworth, uh, when he was butters to his friends throwing fruit at each other in the playground. Uh, and playing projectile a lot of motion, on projectile motion. That was, uh, yeah. that was foreshadowing for things to come. Did everyone call you, everyone call you Butters from like South Park? Was that, did everyone reference that? Uh, yeah, I think they, they came out around the same time. Yeah, definitely. So welcome to the show, bud. It's uh, great to have you here. Uh, why don't you start off by telling us kind of what you do, because you're oh. going to do a much better job at this than me. Okay, th this is great. So I I was just there getting 
very anxious uh, listening to Alex's intro, uh, wanting to jump in and be like, oh, you, you should love science. Like, of course you love science. No, you're wrong. <laughs> you're very passionate about science. There's so much creativity in it. And, and so that's a big part of what I do is, is convince people, uh, maybe that's not the right word, I um, encourage their own learning to appreciate the things about science and, and uh, yeah. develop their passion that they, they have innate within them, uh, that they actually do appreciate science. But to answer your actual question, you know, what, what do I do? I mean, that's the philosophy about what's driving me, I guess. Um, uh, I, wor I work at, um, uh, yeah, I work at uh, Sydney University by day. So there I, I basically help researchers do their research on, on really big computers. So I, I run the, the supercomputer there. And so I get their... Uh, they're, yeah. they're weird and wonderful projects that they're working on. Um, you know, they live in the lab all day. They, uh, so there's a lot of different types of science and I know nothing about yeah. petri dishes and, and microscopes. Um, so I work with those guys to, to help bring their work onto, uh, the massive computers that sort of technology has driven through and wow. pushed into the modern scientific era. So that's by day. And then by night, I work at Sydney observatory as an astronomer there. So I, I take people around, show them the stars and say, look so at that, cool. get excited. Okay, that is really cool. I'm, I'm excited by that. I've, I've been to the observatory and it's amazing. The observatory is great, right? <laughs> mm. See, I didn't even think of like that as science, but I guess it is, right? And I grew up in um, Broken Hill where you see some of possibly the best stars in the world. They're phenomenal. Absolutely. That, I'm, I'm very, very jealous of that. Going back to what you said at the first at the first uh, part, you you said something where everyone has an innate interest in science, and it, I hadn't really thought about that. But I guess we all think we like science when it's relevant to us. Is is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I'm I'm yet to meet someone who, when you show them something like Jupiter through a telescope, just go like, oh, that's boring. Like they go like, wow, that's that's, a, that's another planet, you know, like I don't like astronomy at all. Yeah. I came here with my, with my partner, like I just got dragged along, but that thing's a planet like in my face right here. Yeah. So, so bringing that out and finding, you know, where, where people fit in science, they, they might not know that they like it, but you know, you pick up your mobile phone a hundred times a day and, and, and that's science in action right there. You're we're on communicating over the, the world wide web, you know, that that's, that's science just, Everything we do, every, every piece of human understanding is just driven by, by the scientific method. And do you think that, because there's clearly a disconnect between what people think science is, how interested they are in it, and kind of how it helps people, right? Yeah, de definitely, yeah. Like, like what you said, you know, it's really about how does this affect me? I can't see science influencing my life today, you know, like... <laughs> Why is this relevant to me? What's the relevancy? So that, that's really important, I think, with science communication and with more what you do, like marketing and, and, and all that, pushing that message. Yeah, like it is interesting for, for people not to realize what's in front of them. Like there's that design principle that, you know, I think there's even a great podcast named after it called 99% Invisible, where it's this idea that 99% of the things that have been designed for us are totally invisible to us. 
So right, yeah, whether yeah. that's you know the width, the width of a street determines the speed of that street, I always think is really interesting. And yeah, that's the trees cool. are on. The, yeah, and like where the trees are on the curb side or where the trees are on the footpath side determines how likely we are to have an accident. And all these like little tiny details around design kind of keep us in a box. Yeah, that, that's that's really fascinating. And so there's a lot of work into understanding that, I guess, that you just kind of take for granted every day. So with what you do, like talking about supercomputers, which really just sound like if someone said that, like you just kind of think they were making it up unless you really knew what they were talking about. You'd be like, oh, yeah, like a cool story. Or you think back to like that retro future where it's like 1975 and you, or even older than that when you, um, you know, thinking about, oh, no, about 1975, thinking about like the first, you know, real computers that took up a whole room and, you know, they've got 64 kilobytes running through them. That's exactly what I thought of. I was like, you work with really, really big computers <laughs> in massive rooms. <laughs> and like, in a lab coat and he kind of looks at it. I'm standing up on a <laughs> He kind of looks at it, you know, like... He taps and there's it papers and going everywhere and he's like, the science, the science, and like tapping a keyboard furiously. <laughs> what is that really? What, what is that... What is that what is it working with supercomputers really? Okay, the idea that you have isn't far off it. So it is a big <laughs> giant room. It's a giant room filled with computers. I'm not actually allowed to go there, you know. It's under lock and key. Um, it's guarded by dogs and everything. Um, but the way you interact with it is like just a, a tiny little text box on, on your computer, like the classic Linux terminal where you type in commands one at a time. It looks like you're hacking the matrix. Really? It's full. It's exactly like that. So it's really, really basic interaction that you have. But, you know, you, you do all this stuff and then one number comes out and you're like, yes, that, that computer crunched that one particular number. And is that creativity or is that logic? Ooh. Because I imagine the application of the scientists that you're giving them, they've given you a logical problem that you might have to have a creative solution for. So it, it is exactly that. Yeah. So it's writing the code to apply uh, someone's logic can does require creativity. So th there's lots of different ways uh, to to loop through a thing a million times. You know, you can you can start at the first one and then look at the next one and then the next one, or you might be able to do all a million at once or something like that. And so the way you actually structure what's a very logical problem uh does require you know creativity and, and hard work as well to sort of learn how to be creative with the way you sort of construct these logical arguments in the yeah. right way what's an example butters like could you give something that you've worked on okay or, or just uh, a hypothetical ex example of you know so a sign a, a group of scientists at sydney uni are um, researching blah and they give you that data to do what so uh one one thing i was working on today was a a researcher uh is trying to model the um how the the earth has evolved through the last few hundred million years and they the way they do that is they they start with like a basically a random guess of what the uh, what it used to look like, and then they, and a they hypothesis. A hypothesis. That's that's right. So <laughs> the, there's a lot of assumptions. Thank you, Mrs. Cherry, my year nine teacher, my science teacher. <laughs> so, so so then they then they use they use their hypothesis guided by 
like physics that we know. So things that we can measure again and again and again. So as so, something as simple as gravity, you pick something up and it falls back down. That's the same physics that's happening for the last few hundred million years. And so they start with this like landmass and then they, they use all these physical equations to predict what it will look like in the future. And then they do that a million times. Like in each time you do it, it takes a lot of computational work, but you do it a million times and right. kind of just tweak the knobs a little bit. So you might be like, okay, maybe my first guess was a little wrong. Let's update it. Let's update it again and update it again until you kind of match what it looks like today. So that, and then you look at today's, wow. the thing that came out of the computer and a picture of today's world and go like, oh yeah, they're pretty accurate. Um, so yeah. I've, I've rendered you speechless. I can so, do that a lot. <laughs> We're talking about science communication. You know, you don't want to do that fully. You want people to remain engaged and not just be like, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> Me and Alex have to pause at the moment to work out who's going to ask the question because we're not next to each other. We can't tap each other. Okay. <laughs> oh, is that what we're doing? Oh, shit, I wasn't doing that. Um, I, <laughs> it's not often that I'm stuck for words, butters, but so, and, and that process is something that, you know, I guess modern technology has meant that we can do that because there's no way that in, in a person's lifetime they would have been able to work out that sequence, what, you know, what we can computerise now. Um, exactly. But where, what's the creative element in that? Is it the the data that we get from that at the end about what the earth looks like and then, you know, we can kind of see where we've been and where we're going? Yeah, so, like, the creativity, I mean, science, the way, the way we basically advance science is by coming up with something that hasn't been done before or something that hasn't been known before so I guess by definition you have to be creative to create this new uh new thing so we generally build on other people's ideas and someone might have that idea yeah. for that method but the technology might not exist yet and then and then someone will have the creative vision to be like hey this technology now exists and this method exists I'm going to put them together and and, and run with it which, you know, is, is going back to those kind of old adages where there is, um, I think it's Einstein, who's a shoulder of giants quote from. I may, yeah. I may be able to look far, but I've only gone this far by looking on the shoulders of giants. Newton, I think, maybe. Yeah. Newton? Yeah, no, Newton. Yeah. One of them. <laughs> One they, of them. Uh, or more like also with Halley's comment where they, he predicted that it would come back around but would never see it until they actually worked out the technology to be able to see it again where yeah. he, he kind of looked at it up this could be a possibility. Yeah. So, so all, all these, uh, all these predictions, I guess, um, they, yeah, they, they start many years ago, some of them, and people won't live to see their, their creation, I guess. <laughs> I guess this is where, you know, for me growing up, I was definitely, you know, a big Carl Sagan fanboy. I can't quite get into Neil deGrasse Tyson quite as much. Um, only because I think it's it's almost I don't have that that same wonder I had at like fifteen or sixteen where this stuff really started to get to me. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, Carl Sagan did a very famous series in the early nineties called Cosmos, and it was like the first time anyone had broken down like cosmology, I like kind of the study of everything that we know into a really palatable, accessible way. 
which to me kind of seems like one of these big barriers that actually happens with science where it doesn't seem relevant or it seems too hard or we're talking about, you know, that really hardcore you know, depth of like a supercomputer, but in actual fact it has so many relevant applications that it's um, becomes really useful and it becomes really interesting to us. What, you know, are these heroes to you, Butters, and do you, do you kind of see anyone else in this field that's doing the same thing? Oh yeah, like like they're very classic examples, and I have a, a quote from Carl Sagan in my in my thesis. The start of my thesis is a is a a, a Carl Carl Sagan quote, um, and, and so yeah, I, I look up to their their passion and their ability to explain things with that passion. So you get really, I, I guess, a clear view, and you get excited by by this the way they can simply break down what can be a very complicated idea yeah. and, and what, what they do in particular well is that they, most of the time, you know, they're, they're, they're still human. Um, and this is speaks for all scientists is that they, they separate their, their passion from, I guess, their emotion a little bit. So it's, yeah. very, it's very easy to, to, to get emotional about, you know, some, some scientific discovery, but you know, if it's not, if it's not quite right, then then it's your emotion driving it rather than than I guess your passion driving it. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, well, you can. It's very easy to let uh, emotion get in the way of fact, and I think that's yeah. that balance between how do you be passionate about something but it's still fact driven rather than you know opinion driven or emotionally driven. Because yeah. you know I think you just need to look at any kind of big you know, whether it's the anti-vaxxer movement or anything like that or, you know, the anti-5G movement. There's, there's a lot of passion out there. There's, there's really not a lot of fact out there. Do you, do you find yourself in YouTube arguments or arguments in the hallways with the other parts of the science community? It's, it's a, that, that's a really hard one, actually. Um, so I, I've, I've deleted Facebook. You know, I, I had to um, just to protect myself from, from uh, a lot of these communities and, and misinformation campaigns wow. um, because, yeah, but, but at the same time, like, I, I, I don't know whether I should try and contribute logical arguments and, and, and change people's minds, um, but I don't think that anyone's figured out actually how to do that successfully. So, mm. yeah, that, that's a, that's a very tricky one to, 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 to bring about actual change in, in someone's what could be measured scientifically are uh, incorrect values. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's a great book I read. Uh, I think I mentioned it on the podcast before called The Irrational Ape. Um, total author's name is Lisa, but he talks about kind of the impact on the inability to communicate science. How much that's hindered it back? You know, whether you look at it, and again, you're going to get me, you're going to catch me on this one. Whether it is who was it Copernicus and the working out whether we were in the center of the earth or whether the sun was in the center of the solar system? Uh, Galileo, Galileo, Galileo. Oh, maybe. Well, <laughs> but yeah, like kind of talking about how I think Galileo was the moon guy. Anyway, you he, found, he found Jupiter's moons. Yeah, yeah. I should know these things. Yeah, <laughs> come yeah. on, astronomy. I got, I got um, one but... job. No, but it is interesting to see that happening in real time now where, you know, we, we kind of look back on it and like, oh, you know, how silly that people didn't believe this for 300 or 400 years and literally right now going through either climate change denialism or going through kind of, yeah, the, these really unusual kind of pushbacks against different types of technology, it feels weird to be able to watch it. 
to, to watch it unfold these these yeah. misinformation that that is permeating the world yeah it's um it it's really bizarre i mean some some things aren't as clear cut and and maybe that's where the division starts like you know climate change is a good example um it's it's it, it's definitely a measurable effect that we're having um but to say you know this particular storm is a direct result mm-hmm. of the climate changing. That's really uh, very hard to do. Um, but to look at long-term trends and look at multiple storms altogether, you can say the climate is changing. Um, and, and sort of separating those like two bits out of the, the one story, I think is, is hard for people to do. And maybe that's why we get caught up in, I don't know, yeah, these these discussions, these robust discussions. (laughs) But what does creativity mean to you? Or how would you define it? So, yeah, creativity, uh, I guess it's, it's, it, for me in particular, um, I always didn't think I was a very creative person. I didn't think I had sort of problems solving skills and everything. Um, But but I've actually developed a lot of these kind of uh, creative skills just through working hard and actually learning creativity um, by sort of broadening my broadening my research and broadening my understanding of uh, of things and being inspired by other people. Uh, which I guess to answer your question is is that what creativity is to me is like the uh, ability to be inspired solve problems and do it in a, a new kind of way. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, we ha- oh, okay, we don't I'll... often point blank ask people. That was great. Yeah, we don't that was, often. That was better than most people answer that question. <laughs> I mean, people who work in creative industries give a shit answer to that question. Or, <laughs> yeah, or we don't ask them point blank that, that question. And that was great. I love that you um, correlate creativity with problem solving and that's I guess that is yeah whether these whether other typical creators you know a painter or a musician or things that people typically think of as creatives um whether they are solving a problem that they didn't even know that there was a problem when they are actually doing that so yeah I like that that I like that idea of creativity as problem solving I've never really thought of it like that and you know what look I think we I think a lot of time we spend this time thinking it's about making something that doesn't exist rather than fixing something that should exist. Mm. And I think that's a really minor difference. Like if you talk to a creative in the advertising world, most of the time they believe they're making something. On the strategist front, we tell ourselves we're problem solvers, but most of the time we're just finding a bigger problem. <laughs> but it is around what question do you ask? Going right back to the start, but is it when you're talking about, but what what data do I need to actually put into the supercomputer to solve for and what's a more creative way I could put that in is kind of, you know, where we draw the line. But what I thought was really interesting is every word you use to talk about your job, like that we use kind of in the agency world to talk about our job. And suddenly I'm like, Kevin, I'm talking about cornflakes. It's all the same thing. <laughs> God damn it, I'm just solving a seeding plan and, yeah, you're selling cornflakes and Butters is, you know, solving life's mysteries. Wow. 
So <laughs> we we can't really um, uh, again for anyone who's listening at home. We're keeping these a little shorter at the moment just because we know it's a, it's a little different with kind of doing them virtually. But we couldn't leave today without talking a little bit about COVID nineteen. Um, because as much as we like this being escapism, it's just too current, and I think there's a point of view. Do you – sorry, I've said that very poorly, but what? where do you kind of see us going at the moment? It's now April 21, we're recording this. We know – well, we're being told. This is, again, this is my slight conspiracy language coming out. We're being told that, you know, we've definitely got a flattening of the curve over seven days without a 1% increase. That seems like a fairly small sample size to me, but – What's your point of view? How are you feeling confident, optimistic? Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. So yeah, it comes down to the data uh, and the, the source of that data as well, whether you find that reliable or not mm. and how that data has been acquired. Yeah. Um, so uh, Australia is pretty robust with its data collection policies and everything. So I, I do like to believe that that those sources coming in have been verified and everything the curve is flattening um and, and so that's great news you know I'm, I'm working with quite a few people who are uh on on COVID-19 um research problems as well so there's a lot of number crunching to sort of map the the, the genome of, of the COVID virus um there and and also to watch how it sort of disperses through the community how it gets passed around and everything so there's some yep. interesting projects on that um and the other point that I wanted to bring up when you said, you know, we're being told these things, uh, we're being told things by, you know, the, the great leaders of our country who, who generally are not scientists. Um, and I, I would hope, but I don't know, uh, that they have some sort of, uh, the, the policies that they're coming up with are driven by, you know, some sort of scientific uh, input. You know, can you go and get a haircut for f- four hours or is it 30 minutes? Like, sh- is there some science behind that or is it just some, yeah, someone going that. like, oh, I don't know. So, that, you know, that that's why it's important <laughs> to get, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, the, the, there's two two things I'm, I'm talking about here. One, one is the, the, the policy being um, driven, but that comes down to effectively communicating from from you know your your scientific advisors uh, and and them getting reliable data um, to begin with and say like yes this the data is telling us that we should keep isolating or we should go out and and be merry so yeah there's, there's a lot of science in there and a lot of politics <laughs> yeah yeah what is, do you have a, and again I won't put it in the spot and say how long do you think it's going to last but do you have a point of view on whether the so I think it's the I'm going to get this wrong. So if we look at New Zealand, they're in total lockdown and they want to lock down until the vaccine's done. You've kind of got middle of the road like Australia. And then you've got, is it Sweden or Switzerland who's doing the let's rip the bandit off, let the, the virus run and, you know, see what happens? Yeah, right, right. Well, I, again, that comes down to sort of uh, data-driven policy. So if we're in a position where we, we have a lot of ventilators, we – um, we have a, a support system in place. Um, we have the ability to, you know, lock things down again if necessary. Then, then sure, like open it up. Um, and like, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I would hope that the people yeah. that make these decisions uh, are kind of weighing, weighing up, like why they're making these decisions. Like, let's open it up, and we predict that everyone's going to get it. 
that that will probably yeah. happen eventually. Like that's that's what happens. You know, the cold and flu uh, permeates through the the population uh, every year. Um, but whether we can stagger that sort of um, uh, that infection rate, it might be better. Or yeah, I. I don't know is the answer. I'm glad I'm not making the, the decision, but I could support, you know, the, the the questioning. Yeah, yeah, good. Alex, anything? Uh, well, I guess what's your what's your favourite type of science? Or because I know there's so many different types out there, and it's really broad. But obviously, astronomy <laughs> is something that you're really passionate about. Yeah, like uh, astronomy. Uh, you look up at the stars and you just like go like, wow, what, is, what does it all mean? You know, who am I? Where do I come from? Um, so that's really inspiring. Uh, but I generally like science that I know kind of nothing about. Like when I, when I work mm. with zoologists and I'm just amazed at the things that they, um, that, that they can do. Oh, we talk, I was talking to, to someone that were, that were measuring like, how snails move around um, from like a food source or something. I'm just like, this is amazing. They sent a photo of the snails in the little cage. I'm like, this is crazy. You know, like I, I, I work on computers all day. I, people are out there, you know, doing this sort of thing. Um, so I, I like the, the, those scientific fields that I just have no idea about. I think find yeah. them really fascinating. Animal migration is fascinating. Did you know that there are eels in Centennial Park in Sydney that migrate every year to like Papua New Guinea or something. Where, how do they get there? Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't I don't know, know but they, they, they live in one of the ponds in Centennial Park and then they slither all the way out of the park. They cross like major roads to get to an ocean <laughs> and then they swim. I think it's Papua New Guinea where they have a big orgy and they breed and then with the baby eels, they guide them back to Centennial Park. And every year. Yes. Science. Yes, see? see, guys, I know science. Um, that was, you know what, that was a, a, an enlightening half now. I felt like I kind of had a chat with Dr. Carl here. Um, maybe <laughs> yeah. that could, you could be the next Dr. Carl. Um, and, I, oh, yeah, I think I was just naive in terms of the connection of creativity. But I guess without having a creative element there in the beginning of being able to have the creativity to ask the question in the first place or knowing what question to ask in order to then have the science and the process driven um, that comes after it. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so mm -hmm. much, man. We, we have to do this in person, I reckon, yeah, as well. Uh, like, I, I want to do a follow-up with you. Absolutely. With a whiteboard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the best science has done it at a, at a pub, you know, with a whiteboard, sure. But yeah. this is where these, these creative discussions start flowing. You're like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's try that. Yeah, yeah, sweet. I feel like I feel like Butters would be really good to join our trivia team. Yes, that he would be. So <laughs> <laughs> good. Oh, well, thank great. you. Thanks so much again, Butters. Cool. Um, Thanks, guys. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for listening and spending a little bit of time with us. If you want to share your own creativity with us, drop us a line at our Facebook group, You're Good, Get Better. Or individually um, on social media, Jai is Jai Smith and I'm Ms. Darlinghurst, Emma Darlinghurst. Tell us what questions you wish we'd asked, uh, what inspired you, or if you know some maker and creator out there we should be speaking to, get in touch. That's it from us. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.
people in person and it normally involves, you know, cheese and wine and all sorts of stuff. So definitely quite a few beers. Um, Dry manages to go through a lot of beers and wine in one show and gets progressively drunk. (laughs) (laughs) 